0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome back to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well. All right mi gente, so for this week's episode, I'm so excited and honored to present Michael Cassens. Not only was he my undergrad mentor, but he still mentors me till this day at my grad level program. And he himself knows the first generation struggle because he was a first generation student and now a first generation professional professor. Mi gente, not only has he impacted my life, but he has impacted the life of so many other first generation students That, let me just say, his Rate My Professor ratings is completely out of this world. And, Mijenta, just to share a little more background on Michael Cassens, he received his AA degree at his local community college, his bachelor's degree at Cal State Fullerton, and his master's degree at UC Riverside. And as we keep going with this episode, Michael opens up and shares with the audience that it took him about nine years to finish community college, but I mean, look at him now. All right, mi gente, I could go on and keep talking about all his amazing work and how he won professor of the year more than one time, but I'm just going to go ahead and let this episode speak for itself and enjoy.
1: Oh, I think you've said plenty. Hello. Thank you for having me on. It's fantastic to see you. It's been quite a while.
0: No, yeah, definitely. And I just, I just before we get into like you know the fun topics of all education, I want to know how are you and your family doing with the whole COVID nineteen situation going on? Uh,
1: well, I, this it's it's not easy. We're we're managing. We're all you know the motto. My motto always is do the best you can with what you got. And so we are doing the best we can with what we got. Uh, there's myself and my my spouse, my wife, who were both full-time employees in education. And so that means a lot of Zoom meetings is what that means. Uh, So there's constantly dueling Zoom meetings going on. Uh, I'm constantly recording lectures out on my patio where I am sitting now. And I have two children of my own who are constantly in their Zoom classes. Uh, Now, generally, they go to their own bedrooms for that. But we're kind of sheltering in place with uh, with our next door neighbor. Uh, and so his son comes over here and he is in school at our house too. So two full-time adulting type people and three children in various degrees of education all on our Wi-Fi at the same time uh, and all trying to, uh, to get along as best we can. So uh, balancing schedules is, I will admit, a challenge. Uh, and You know, again, I'm doing the best I can with what I got, but I I will admit the stress levels have been high, and um, (laughs) I I don't have all of my classes quite ready for the online world. You know, last spring was the first time I'd ever really truly had to force prepare for an online class. I'm traditionally a face-to-face kind of teacher, and um, so, but now I'm converting everything to online, and and it's been stressful to stay ahead of the schedule of my students. Uh, That's... I'm not complaining. I love my job. I absolutely love what I do. Uh, but when I know my students need to start listening to something on a certain day and I'm, you know, two days ahead of it, I'm still trying to prepare it uh, and, and, and I know that I got two days worth of prep work to do in, in between it, uh, you know, stress levels get high. So we're doing the best we can with what we got. So it's okay. We're uh, I, I will say this once I get fully prepared, like I have all my classes you know, I teach a lot of classes, but uh, right now I'm working on my third and fourth prep as an online course. So once I have four classes ready and I've done them before in the online platform, um, then I'm honestly going to start thinking about how much I actually want to stay an online teacher because I actually really kind of like the online platform. Now, I love face-to-face. There's nothing that replaces a face-to-face classroom, at least not the way that I teach. I um, uh, I, I bring a lot <laughs> I bring a lot to the classroom uh, i I kind of make it a little bit noisy and, and, and that 's not easy to replicate in in the online world but uh, i 'm finding that'm there are ways of making that happen and my students have been responding really well so far they they don 't perceive the the near panic i 'm regularly in to try to get their classes ready i 'm just getting pretty good feedback right now, so i can 't complain much. Uh, and it's a good thing. I love my family very much. So I don't mind being around them all the time. I know there's plenty of families that have had some problems with that, but not ours. We we actually like each other quite a bit. <laughs> it's a good
0: thing. <laughs> no, that's definitely important. I don't know if you've read a couple like articles, but they've even talked about how certain couples and family members actually like split up during yeah. this time of COVID. So yeah. it's kind of crazy. And yeah. and reflecting back on the whole like Zoom Learning, distance learning, and whatnot. I myself, I've also had my struggles as a grad student, like sitting through the lectures because sometimes I really get a headache, not because of the professor talking, but just looking at the oh, screens all day.
1: Screen. My my wife, Patrice and I were just. Ex- she's been in Zoom meetings. She's an administrator. Uh, she's at a different community college than I teach at, so that's a good thing. But she's been in Zoom meetings constantly, all day long, and we get to a certain point and her her, litter, her eyes just started to water, just like spontaneously. It looked like she was crying in the middle of a Zoom meeting, but she was, and it's just her eyes just like, I've had enough of this screen, kind of a thing. Yeah, and I have, I'll start having vision issues, like focus issues, because I've just been staring at a screen all day long. Uh, no, yeah. so. Yeah, these are these are legitimate issues that we have to we have to start wrangling in a little bit here. But No, uh, yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. And then it's crazy because I actually had to go ahead and purchase some blue lens glasses. I don't know if you've caught on to the little trend. I, I've heard about them. What do you think of them? For me personally, I don't know if it has to do with like the whole placebo effect. But for me, I feel like it's helped with my headaches a little bit. But also, I'm not going to lie. I do drink a lot of water while sitting through my Zoom meetings. So here's the thing. I have to sit through Zoom meetings for my grad courses. However, obviously, as many of you are aware, I have this podcast, so I do network. I do what I can to network, and that consists of me going to webinars. And a lot of these webinars, Mm. they'll be hosted. It could either be at a university campus or it could be, the other day, I went to a webinar of Latinas in Tech in PayPal where we had like CEO levels Latinas like just share their knowledge with us. And I like to be mindful to attend in these because then not only do I meet awesome Latinas, but I'm actually able to continue to brand myself, which I was telling Mike about earlier. I feel like, I would have never learned to get to this level of networking in the sense of go to places, talk to people, get out there without Psybeta. Now, Psybeta, it's this amazing honor society for psych majors at the community college, which I was a part of for about three years when I was attending IVC. And Michael Cassins and another professor of mine, which hopefully you'll meet in season three, we were kind of talking about that, um, they mentored me and again, still pretty much mentoring me till this day. And I'll never forget something that you said, Mike, that really resonated with me, even in adult life, as I'm trying to just continue to build this platform. So what Mike was doing, because he always just tries to get students to join Sybeta, especially the undecided ones, which I know he'll be able to just express his, his ways of doing that shortly. But I remember he told me and a couple of my other friends that you could have the best grades. You could have the best letter of rec. But not everyone is going to have research conference experience, like the way you may want to, to get into grad school. And that resonated with me so much that now in like the real world in like the entrepreneur path, because again, school is expensive and I'm just trying to find ways to still like fund myself, you know, I'm kind of investing in me. So I try to find ways to fund myself and just remembering those words. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much the same thing. So many people can have podcasts. So many people can have small businesses. But the ones that are going to continue to like light it up as much as they can are the ones that are putting themselves out there. And I mean, I'm living in the middle of nowhere right now. Literally. I am in cow country. I'm personally loving it (laughs) because I'm getting in touch with my Latina roots even more. You know what I'm saying? Because there's just more of a population of minority groups up here, which like I love so much. And what's it called? Yeah. And then like, even though I'm here, I'm not by LA. I'm not, well, I'm two hours away from SF, but with COVID it's kind of took a hit. You could still network, just attend webinars or attend. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the UCI transfer research conference finds a way to go virtual in the spring. So Mike, can you go ahead and talk a little bit more about IVC and Cybeta and all that good junk?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. All night long. If you like, uh, IVC is a really cool college, uh, and because in the psych department, well, okay, it's a cool college to work for as a psychology professor. I will say that. Now, I didn't go to to uh, IVC as a student. I did. Gr- I grew up in Orange County, but I was a student at a, a rival college just down the street, Orange Coast College, and um, and I was there for quite a while. I actually tried to. I, I worked there too when I was doing my part time work, um, and and I always, I you know. You you have your nostalgia heartstrings go out to the, those schools that you went to, and just like you have your feelings for IVC, those that's my feelings for Orange Coast College. And I tried to get a job there, but I didn't I didn't get it. They gave it to someone else instead. And yeah, you know, when you know, hey, we learn through our failures, we grow through these failures, right? And when my home school uh, said, "Nah, we're gonna go with that person over there," that 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 broke my heart. Um, but you know, it made. It made me stronger, and it made me really start to look at, well, what exactly was it that, that OCC had that I really wanted so badly? And it really was just that nostalgia. Uh, but I was also working at other colleges, including Irvine Valley, and that one, I hadn't really figured out. It was a far better fit for me as a, as a person, as a teacher, uh, because the people who were already there as, as the other full-time faculty, they were very much of the same mindset that I was, which is all about mentoring. Now, I did have a wild, massive aha moment while at Orange Coast College that put me on my path, which if you want to have a long story, then I can tell you that story, certainly. Uh, but I didn't see that opportunity at OCC when I was actually trying to get a job. As a student, that was one thing, and this person was there, but now that person who was this mentor that gave me this aha classroom experience, she'd already retired by the time I was teaching. And, uh, and so she... So that person wasn't there anymore. But there were people who were very similar to that person. By the way, her name was Monta Harvey. If uh, Monta, if you're listening, I don't know where I would love to get in touch with you. Please send me an email. Uh, I would love to say thank you and express my gratitude. I did get a chance to express my gratitude to her once. Uh, that's a whole different story. Uh, but I I owe everything. Like, you know, you give me all the time. You, you're... Expressing gratitude to me and I so appreciate that. And I'm and I and I love you. I'm grateful for this for you. Uh, but I have that same level of gratitude for Monta. And when Monta mentored me, and I don't know if you remember in my office from the many times that we talked in my office, I have a little teeny tiny post-it note that was it was always right behind my head. I put it there strategically. And it's just a little tiny note, and I just wrote her name, Monta. And that was so whenever I looked at it, I remembered, okay, that's right. It's my job to do for my students, what Monta did for me, and uh, Monta gave me an opportunity, and that opportunity led to thriving in a field as a teacher and a professor, and getting all these awesome things available to me uh, because I did do exactly what you're trying to do now, and that's I got brave enough to reach out and and push for opportunities to happen. You know, I'm I'm very much about making your You know, creating your best personal life by, you know, creating I'm a I'm a personality and social psychologist. That's my background. So it's all about situational force on the social psych side. And let's create the situations that promote the outcomes that we really would like. And that applies to all sorts of outcomes, but certainly your professional outcomes, your career outcomes, your academic outcomes. Uh, And and so that takes effort on your part. I mean, you have to do something here to make these things happen. And sometimes it's just paying attention. And so I started paying attention to to what different schools that I was teaching at as a part-time teacher. And I'm obviously my story doesn't start here. I got a longer story that goes, builds up to this point, but the people at IVC were doing things differently from everybody else. And it started with, you know, my, my mentor, my teaching mentor is Jerry Rudman and uh, Jerry, if you're listening, I love you. I thank you. What would Jerry do? You're, you're the greatest. I'm constantly, I know I bow down to him constantly. Whenever I see him, it's like, thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Uh, And I'm, he is my mentor in that sense for for you know I have my, my mentor as a student and I have my mentor as a teacher, and Jerry is absolutely that person and and I was able to come into the department at, at IVC, and uh, you know and I, I find out that everything I think about education and, and the, the ideas that I had were being accepted and they had their ideas and they meshed really well, and all these really cool ideas came together and, and jerry had he had already done a ton of things i mean Jerry was at IVC, essentially, when the place opened. I mean, it was originally our, our sister school, Saddleback College. Um, we were Saddleback North is the joke. <coughs> Excuse me. So, and, and eventually we got our own name. And this, this, is, this is in the middle 1980s, which is why, in, you know, in the 80s, um, you know, Star Wars was a big thing, which is why we are the lasers. pew. Pew. IVC. is, so oh, you're a laser star. Uh, she knows that. Laser for life. I've told her that many, many times. So, but, uh, so Jerry's been with this place since it began, and he started Psybeta as a chapter at IVC around, I think it was 1992 or 93, somewhere in the early, early 90s. Now, Psybeta had been around since before then, and what that is, is essentially an honor society for students who are interested in psychology, you don't have to be a psych major necessarily if you want to come play. Uh, it's just for people who appreciate questions, you know, the scientific approach to questions about humans. You know, we're, we're checking, checking guesswork at the door, and we're going to use scientific method, good stuff like that, uh, about humans and about why we do the things we do, and you name it. Any, anything a human does, that's in the ballpark of, of a psychologist. And, of course, you know, being a teacher that is paying attention to what, what makes a good teacher... Uh, and which i which I was doing my whole when, once I decided I wanted to be a teacher i was I was at always that that class from Manta that was one of the ahas was i want to be a teacher, and so I actually started paying attention to what teachers do that worked and what teachers do that don't work and so in every one of my classes as an undergraduate from that point on that's i, I i'm almost embarrassed to say, but i 'm not actually i 'm actually proud to say i it took me eleven years to get my bachelor 's degree i'm sure i've told you that before. Uh, that was seven years at Orange Coast College and four years at Cal State Fullerton before getting into graduate school at UC Riverside. And from a couple of years in at the OCC, about halfway through my OCC days, that's when I had that class that turned everything around and said, okay, my major is psychology. You know, I'm going to be a teacher. I, you know, my, my psychological perspective came into to play on this one. And, um, and so I started taking two sets of notes I don't know if I ever told you this, saying two sets of notes in every one of my classes, one set of the content of the class, another set of notes on things the teacher was doing that worked or didn't work. So I was like taking, I was like reviewing the teachers. There was no, there was no break my professor at this point in time. Uh, and, but I'm okay, that worked. What a great idea that was. And there were some harsh realizations that came true, that, that came to me here. Like I had a, a teacher, unfortunately, who was a PhD in psychology at Cal State Fullerton, who in a lecture was so checked out uh, that this professor literally said Sigmund Freud was from Australia. And, and I'm just looking like, okay, what? What are you talking about? And, and I, know, I know this person knew what, where, that he's from Austria and not Australia. I know that that was known, but they were so checked out and they were so just in a check that I was, I was offended at that point. I mean, this like deeply offended me. I'm like, why am I paying for this? I'm working. I was working full-time my entire undergraduate life. That's the major reason why it took me so long. And I'm paying my whole way. I paid my way through my entire college life. I still have some loans to show for it. And, and so I was offended when I wasn't getting like, literally like you're personally affronting me when you don't give me the knowledge that I'm paying you to give me right now. And, uh, and I would, I'll never forget that one bit, but it also gave me this real, okay, one, do what you're going to do seriously, right? If you're not going to be serious about it, mm-hmm. what the heck are you doing? Go do something else. If they, you know, Find what you're really going to enjoy doing. If you so don't enjoy it that you're going to be checked out like that, stop it, because all you're doing is punishing the people who are there with you. I was, I'm, I'm angry. Obvi- I'm cl- clearly still angry. This was a long time ago, and I'm clearly still angry about this. So I learned that, one, you better bring your passion. People, will, people like to see other people's passion. I love psychology. I think this is fascinating. There's never, there's never an uninteresting question, in, if you ask me. And, and anything that a human does is something that you could turn into a, a study. So if you're curious about a human at all, suddenly psychology is your, your major, which is what I try to tell all my students. It's like, try to, you're, all, you're all psych majors. You just don't know it yet. I'm sure I told, did I get you by the way, or did Ben get you? Did, was it through one of my classes that you became a psych major?
0: Um, so what, ben, it, it was yummy. I you.
1: Okay. That's one of my full flame colleagues, listeners. Okay. So I was, I was the second teacher. I know Ben, you, you did a study with Ben, which was, was a brilliant study. And for I love an entire
0: study. year. Yeah, because, um, study. It's because when Ben, which by the way, another mentor of mine that I was telling Mike, he's going to be on here for season three. I don't care what he says. Anyways, um, I hope he's listening. Um, so with Ben. So with Ben, he actually came in and started to teach more courses at IVC once I finished all of them. So Uh, he was
1: he just had got a full-time job, basically, right about that time you were with us. That's right. Yeah, you would have been one of his earlier projects. But okay, back back to my story. Always gotta make sure I Come, complete the circle here, uh, coming to to IVC, having paid attention to teaching, all these kind of things that in my head anecdotally worked, I found out through Jerry, there's actually a whole science on this. And there's people who have made their research careers trying to figure out what makes good teachers good and what makes good students good and this whole science of teaching and learning. And, and he was really already interested in it. I'm like, well, oh, geez, I got all these notes. Let's talk. And suddenly, uh, you know, we're just, suddenly I realized he's my mentor, right? And it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm in the right place. I'm meeting Jerry. And then, you know, Carrie Tucker she was the person who hired me. She was the chair at the time. And, um, and she and I, we both went to UCR. We had all these things in common and we're all on the same page and it's all, we're all focusing on how to maximize student outcomes, how, how to, how to, bring a student from, you know, the the, the cheesy thing. How to bring you from surviving college, you know, surviving in college to thriving in college. It's like a a cheesy buzz phrase now to say, talk about thriving, but that's what we've always been talking about. Like, we don't just want, we don't want students to make it with a C. You know, we want students who are really doing well, because honestly, when you're walking around in the world and you go to a doctor, you don't want a doctor dealing with your health who just kind of made it through med school you know, who had C's and just kind of was, you know, let me just try to finish this class so I can get out there and get a job and say, no, 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 no. I want you to be in the right situation, have the best experience to be thriving as a student. That's who I want to, you know, put my health into their hands. So what's, why should that be any different for, for anything else? So we were all on the same page and, uh, and I just slipped right into this machine that Jerry and Carrie had already put into place that also has, uh, Yemi Taylor and uh, Benjamin Miss. That's the other person that, that starts talking about that we're going to try and get on the podcast after me. Uh, and we're all on the same page. You know, we're all about mentoring students. We're all about, and, and, and not just mentoring students. Now we have a system that we've put into place and it's this, this thing called Sibeta. That's the front is Sibeta. And we say, hey, you like this stuff? You want to meet other students? So we, we kind of we do the social the social connection to get you in the door. It's like, hey, you want to come meet some people who also like psychology just like you do? Yeah, of course you do. So come on to Beta. We bring you to a meeting and and right now we're we had our first uh, meeting of the semester, you know, it was a Zoom meeting. But I, I tell you 60 56 people I think it was showed up to a Zoom meeting for this is not a class, this is a club, you know, we it's, we don't call it a club. It's called a co-curricular. We call it that because it's an organization that is that is related to a class, so it's connected to curriculum, but it's not a class itself. But you know, everything we're doing, as you know, it's it's an extension of a classroom. I mean, you are doing research that that's an extension of a classroom, uh, and and we bring you in first with that social thing, and the first meeting is always a socially, you know, uh, tilted meeting. It's it's the get to know you. It's the icebreakers. It's the hey, let's meet everybody. Let's all you know start the family connection. Then we start bringing in opportunities like, okay, hey, we're doing this community service project. You know, so because we, as a psychology, there's two major tracks that you can get into in psych. There's the research track, which is the track that that I am on historically. That's my background is the research side. And then there's the application side, you know, the the clinicians, the counselors, the, the therapy types. And so we try to have something for everybody. The idea here is to uh, give everybody a test drive on something that they're thinking about. And now that's not easy to do with the therapy side, right? I can't just say, hey, go do therapy and see if you like it. I mean, okay, you could really actually injure someone at that point in time. Uh, And so we we don't do that. But we will have all sorts of volunteer opportunities with groups that are working with populations that need help. Uh, some kind of help. And, and there's all sorts of organizations we've worked with and all sorts of different things we've done over the years. But that's always this kind of community, we call it, quote, community service. Uh, it's always something that's related to the mental health facility, be it, hey, we're volunteering time at a, a state uh, you know, psychiatric facility uh, or sometimes just doing something with a community group like NAMI or something like that. Uh, and then there's the other side, which is, okay, well, how about some research? Do you have a question about humans you want to get to know a little more about? Hey, why don't you come in and, and we'll mentor you with a study, you know, and we'll, we'll do some one-on-one work or, you know, small groups and, you know, three people or two people will get together and work with a faculty member. Uh, and we'll just, we'll do, we'll do a, sub, a study, whatever you want. And we have found that research is the gold standard for promoting success in our field. Uh, and that's because Everything is sitting, I mean, we're a psychology is a science. This is something I have to convince my psych one students of every single first week. Psychology is a science. We're using the scientific method just like any other science that's out there. Uh, and so we have to learn it up front. And a lot of people are like, well, hold on. I thought it was just, you know, therapy and stuff. So, uh, no, no, and no, that was the time your brain gets to open a little bit. And we talk about what psychology really is. And so there's a lot of science behind it. And, and so that education starts quick. Uh, and then it, the real learning happens through the hands-on aspect here. I mean, I can, I can talk at you in a lecture for three hours about different research designs, and you will certainly get that if you take a research methods class, which you definitely took. Uh, who'd you take? Carrie? Yeah. Me? You took me for methods. Okay, yeah. So I did yell at you for hours and hours and hours uh, about you know, reliability and validity and the different ways we collect data and, you know, and on and on and on. That's just no comparison to actually being in a space having a person come in who's going, who's volunteering to be a participant, going through the, the process of, you know, okay, we have to create the informed consent, we have to give them the instructions, we to make sure everyone gets the instructions in the same way. We, okay, we got you. Treating you know, the, the situation very delicately to make sure that everything is held constant, except that whatever manipulation you're going to do, and then you're trying to get a careful measurement out of the person, and you don't actually come to appreciate how delicate this process is until you're physically doing it. And I know that through your experience with the staring study that you learned that the real way and I think that's where the real the the, the scientific mind actually starts to churn here uh, where you start realizing oh wow well, okay the details do matter uh, and, and so this is I mean that's that's something that's going to help you your entire life if you come to the realization that the details do matter because the details do, they, they really do matter. And so now you're attending to those details a little more carefully. You're being more thoughtful about, okay, well, how are we going to measure that? So you, you, you get more critical in your approach. And these are the, these are the side effects, you know, what we call the, um, the soft skills that you will develop that all the employers out there say they want out of college graduates right now, the soft skills. These are all the skills that you develop by doing hands-on research. You know, the, the, careful the carefulness one the critical thinking going on and then the teamwork because you know we're not we don't have the ability or the system to just do a whole bunch of one-on-one kind of studies it's it's almost always some kind of small group so you know two three four people whatever but that means you have to work with other people and while we all have our our own levels of introversion and extroversion and all that you know good personality qualities that sometimes mix well and other times don't uh you get to figure out how you're going to work with people. And you know, I'm mostly dealing with 19 year olds who don't really know how well they work in groups because the only group work they've ever done at that point has been like some kind of forced project in a high school event kind of a thing, which they probably didn't take seriously and they really didn't want to do. And so they probably really didn't actually see the value of it. But when you're doing a year long project with someone. Yeah, you you're going to get your communication skills up. You you better, or this is going to we're going to have some problems here. And, and you, if you pick a question that you want to know the answer to, now you're actually motivated to do this, and you want to do this. And you know the high school projects, you don't want to do it. But we're trying to. When somebody comes to me and says, "Hey, I'm interested in research," the first question is, "All right, what what are you interested in?" Let let's do something that's going to benefit you that you're curious about, because if you're curious. Okay, that's, that's the motivation right there. You're going to come. And, and it's really funny in psychology, and I know I'm practically rambling now, but in psychology, there's kind of this old joke people study what they lack. And so, okay, I you know I historically, I'll, I will out myself to your audience. Um, I, I have the tendencies to be exceptionally lazy. Now, I know that's shocking to hear, right? Because I'm constantly working. But no, the constant work is to make sure I never fall back into my lazy ways. It's a it's a safeguard. It's my, you know, this is how I stop myself from becoming lazy. Summer is always very dangerous for me because if I stop moving forward, like if I don't teach during the summer, look, I shouldn't say that. I've never not taught during the summer because I don't want to have a three-month period where I'm suddenly like, yeah, I think I'm done working forever <laughs> because I will get to there. Uh, so, okay. So, I don't can't let myself get lazy. So, okay. So that means I have to, so what did I study in grad school? What, did, what was I interested in studying? Motivation. You know, cause okay, that this is what we do. We study what we lack. So, but that means I'm curious, like, okay, why is it that I have such a hard time persisting on these goals? Why is it that I, you know, that I, I don't know, was afraid of failure or something like that. And if I have that question in my head and those are for me personally, things that were problematic for me, my entire life, up into grad school even, you know, not, not being able to finish, you know, not being able to, to complete a goal, not being able to persist. Persistence was a huge problem with me. Uh, and also, I was, I, I was a fairly introverted kid. I, I still am reasonably introverted, but I'm, you know, like you, I make a point now. I force myself. It's a struggle and always is a struggle, but I force myself to go out and make social connections. Uh, at this point, you know, I still go to conferences, at least, well, not during covid land here. But, um, uh, but when I do go to conferences, you know, I'll be, I'll, I'll be in a ballroom, me and my closest couple thousand psychology people. And I might see someone across the room like, oh, hey, look, there's somebody I really would like to get to know. And, and the old me is just like, oh, well, maybe they'll come say hi to me. And, you know, yeah, and I'll just sit there for forever. But then mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll reach out now. Now I make a point of making the connection.
0: No, and that's awesome. And I love how mindful you are with making sure that, you know, you force yourself to a sense True. to get the things that you need to get done in a sense. You know what I'm saying? And I was also curious to know, Mike, like you had to like, you know, you've had to kind of like, I remember you said once in a Cybeta meeting that even though you were kind of super part-time during your education years, you always at least remember to take one class. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, and, and there
1: was a good reason for that. That was th- that I never wanted to be free of the role of student in my head. This was like how I was defining who I am. Like, and I, and I needed to make sure I was moving forward. So there were plenty of semesters in community college when I was working full time, I was kind of feeling kind of done with school you know, I didn't have any, I had nothing. I didn't have an AA degree or anything at that point in time. Uh, but I know I, I wanted to, I, I needed to keep going I, in my head. I'm like, no, you, you gotta do, you gotta keep going. Cause having a high school diploma and, uh, you know, and then trying to find a career that you're actually going to enjoy is not going to go so well, most likely for you, at least the p- odds aren't in your favor. Let me put it that way. No. And so, yeah, I took, There was a couple semesters where I was like, I forced myself to take a class and and now I cherry picked the class, you know, I'm like, well, let me go take this, you know, something that I know I'm going to, to like, like I took a film class. My favorite class in college was probably, um, it was the, the, what was it? The, um, social significance of science fiction film. That was the title of the class. And basically we get together on a Thursday night and watch a sci-fi movie. I love sci-fi and talk about it. You know, it's like, okay, I am so down for this one. And, and it kept me in the role of a student. And that was super important because if I fell out of that, I, I'm not sure I, I would have gone back. Knowing my problems with persistence, I, I, I might have just said, you know what, I don't need to do that. I'll just go keep working because I, I had to pay the rent.
0: No, of course. And I just, you found your system, you made it work. And I feel like with so many students, specifically first gen, which I know you completely relate with because you are first generation. I am first gen. Yes. And it's like, I feel like with first gens, we just have to find what works for us just to make it because first gen students, our parents don't have degrees. They didn't do the whole college route, let alone high school. So we have to figure it out ourselves. Now going back into you being first gen and now being a professional first-gen, you know, college professor, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask, what is your insight on education reform?
1: Well, um, you know, I'll, I can speak to community colleges because that's where my life is. Uh, and there there are things happening right now. I, I will say the state chancellor of California is... is is making an effort. I mean, there's a lot of uh, equity-minded conversations going on right now uh, to try to make sure that the opportunities are available to all groups, and and first gen is definitely one of those groups uh, that's on the the list. It's often one that's that's kind of forgotten. We usually will you know jump to the ethnicity groups first, uh, and and probably rightfully so. Uh, but it's important to make sure that there's you know other people who might have been in at risk populations that are are getting access that at least have opportunity you know that that's in my head it's it's about the opportunities and you know in Beta, i'm not going to force someone to go and and come be a part of this say, hey you you need to come do research you know there's not like i have a quota in my head that says okay go and target this type of person to make sure that it's okay we just say hey we're this thing and here's what we got and Please come to us, and so we open the door as wide as we can, and we be as welcoming as we possibly can. Uh, but I'd be lying if I, if I said I didn't keep an eye in my class on first gen students, uh, because I'm that that was me. You know my my father was from the Midwest. He came out to California to Long Beach in the uh, early '60s to be a musician. My dad my dad was a bass player, upright bass, jazz cat. And, uh, and he came out here and he started going to Compton College, and that's where my my mother they weren't married yet, but that's where my mother was a student and they met there and um, and started dating and all that stuff and and that's when he my father said, okay'm this is the person I'm going to marry and he figured that out pretty quick I think uh, and suddenly school wasn't all that important. No, no, this is a very different time here. We're talking about here. This is, a, you know, the early 1960s were just economically very, very different from right now. And he was offered a job. And and so, he took that job. It was extremely stable uh, and, you know, it was in, in sales. And, um, you know, I actually thought I, I idolized my father. I thought I wanted to be a business major when I first started going to college because that's what my dad was and took one class in business law. And, oh, my goodness, I I barely... Barely passed that one with a C, and then i realized i 'm not a business major, but my father was a very successful businessman and, and, and but he was a musician at heart. He actually was offered um, i know i 'm going back to the old old times now he was offered a, a a job as the touring bass player for the carpenters in the 1970s and all the old people in your audience will recognize remember that name the, the carpenters great great old band and they' they 're from long beach uh, but my dad turned him down because at that point in time he had just married my mom and they were pregnant with their first kid, which was my brother. My brother's three years older than I am. I came three years later. But that was the extent of my mother and father's college career. It was like one semester at Compton College where they met each other and then they said, Hey, let's start a life. Let's have kids. And and my dad was a full-time worker at that point in time, and uh my mom was a full-time at-home mom. And you know, I I I can't I can't claim Disadvantage, and and I I I won't I can't I my father was doing very well when I was growing up, so I was never in need of anything. But when I was in high school, the business that my father had been in for his my whole life, you know, for the last twenty years, uh, went out of business. the The owner of the company was like I think he was committing tax fraud and got caught and went to prison and the whole company shut down. And so very suddenly, while we went from having kind of everything I ever wanted, I was, I, I'll admit, I kind of, I was spoiled. I got what my mom made sure I had what I needed to have uh, to having basically nothing. And, um, you know, and everything, suddenly, you know, all these ideas and grand ideas about going to college were out the window. And, uh, and that's what I didn't even, didn't even apply to UCs. At that, out of high school, because I'm like I just, I'm not going to get it. What's the point? I can't afford it, even if I did get it, kind of thing. And so I just said, well, I'm just going to go to OCC anyway. So I, I didn't even apply. And so I end up going to OCC. And then after that first semester, I was in. The, I felt like I was in the same place my dad was in, where it's like cause I had met someone. This is not the person I married, but I had met someone, and you know, I, now I was thinking, okay, well, I could go this. Let's start a family route, and I. Already had a job. I was bouncing between job after job after job, and I got a reasonably okay job, uh, and um, and I was like that close, just inches away from following in my father's footsteps on that and and leaving college, uh, but I didn't. And I thought, you know, I I need to I need this because I didn't see the options that my dad had in the '60s. I didn't think I'd have those same options uh, in the '90s, and um, and so I stayed in. And at that point, and luckily I did, because eventually that relationship dissolved, and then I, I would have had very little at that point in time, but I still had my education. And, and I've always thought now, since, since I convinced myself, and I still believe this, I've, I've still convinced myself of this, I don't, it hasn't gone anywhere, your education is the most important thing you can invest in, because it's one of the very few things that, that no one can ever repossess. You know you, you can go buy a car but if you don't pay the bill your car gets your car's gone right but okay it, you go to college it, no one can ever take your education and knowledge away from you so it's one of those really great things that you invest in that you will always keep and it doesn't devalue you know that that's it's the skill sets you learn in college don't devalue and I think that's just insanely important so yeah, yes, I target the first gen students. I target the ones that that I see a connection with that might have gone through some of the same struggles that I went through. Not that my struggles were horrible; they really they weren't that bad. I mean, I, I was able to get jobs, you know, and they weren't horrible jobs. And uh, but yeah, I target I I, I target first gens. I've even done I had a couple students a few years ago who we were doing a study on. The success of first gen students and it was it was awesome and so it was a bunch of all the two students and me were all first gen and we're doing a study on first gen students and it was awesome because we were presenting it at conferences and and administrators were looking at us like wow this is really good stuff because they were already kind of recognizing that the the equity questions were coming and uh yeah so that's that's one big thing and you, you you asked about reform there uh the other, the other thing I, I think is worth mentioning is that community colleges can do better. Now, we're already doing great. Community colleges do more with less by far. You, know, you think of the tuition of a community college; the cost of a you know per student per per unit, is very reasonable compared to that of a Cal State or a UC. So it's it's clearly the the best bang for your buck. And I would highly recommend to anybody who came to ask me about their children: yes, you should be going to a community college. Now, where the reform in my head can take place, and you know, as a person in the trenches, uh, it's how we view the community college, because a lot of the times uh, people at the higher-up schools and the UCs will look at community colleges and the community college students with stigma. Like, oh, well, you weren't good enough to get into the UC. So you had to go to this low-life land over here called the community college, which, you know, as a community college student, that offends me quite a bit because I I never, never necessarily thought I wasn't worth it. I just thought I just couldn't afford it. And that's a huge difference right there. I could have succeeded at a UC. I know I could have. Uh, I even had teachers who were looking at me like, "What are you talking about? You're not applying to a UC." Uh, but I, I just knew I couldn't. I couldn't pay the bill. So what what the community colleges can do is truly attempt. I mean, really make an attempt to replicate the first two years of college at a UC, and. Well, some people might look at me and say, "Well, aren't they doing that now?" And the answer, the answer is no, because if you were an 18-year-old fresh out of high school and you went to a UC, you could potentially start working in a research laboratory as an RA right off the bat. If you, if you, you know, if they had an opening in that lab, you went in. You had the right, you know, you sold yourself well enough, kind of a thing. You maybe did your homework, and and you should do that anyway, but. Uh, go out and learn about these professors and go read their work and go and schmooze them a little bit and say how awesome that you know, that it would be if, if I could work for you kind of a thing. Uh, you could start doing that your first semester as a freshman at any UC you like. And that means you're getting that hands-on research experience that I just a few moments ago was saying was super valuable. And yet, there's, om- there's very few community colleges in California, certainly, that are doing what IVC is attempting to do. And that is truly represent that first two years and give research opportunities. And we've gone so far at IVC to, we actually have this last year, we've successfully created our own IRB. We have an institutional review board. So we can federally recognize kind of a thing. We have a number and everything. And so we can review the ethics of these studies that are going on on our campus that our students are doing. you know and that's I mean, it's the law, right? This is what you're supposed to be doing, but if it's a study that's tied to a classroom project, okay, we can get around that. It's pedagogical. you don't have to go get ethics review if that, but what we're doing in, in cyberba it's, it's kind of going beyond that, and we recognize that, so we had this need. Every UC has an IRB, every single one of them. so how many UC, how many cal- uh, community colleges have it is practically none. so we we have that. I'm still working. Attempting to create a uh, basically a um, an undergraduate research office on campus, not just an office. Office does that's not the right word. A lab space, essentially, dedicated lab space where our students. Because I in your day. Anyway, sounds like you're really old. In, in my day, in your day, we had to like beg, borrow, and steal to get space for you to do that study. I remember we were trying to schedule this little weird, funky room that was usually something completely different. Like, okay, we got to this room at this time, but only till noon, because then this other group's going to come in and use it. And it was just, it was a, there's no system. I mean, we're, we're just like begging for space. And at the community college, we're so structured towards the in-class transfer class, and that's it, that we've gotten away from the things that students really can benefit from. Uh, and that's this you know experience, hands-on mentoring. You know, In the old days, it was all about apprenticeship, right? You want to be a blacksmith, you went and hung out with the blacksmith and copied everything they did until you can do it. And now, but that's not what we do our first two years of school. You sit and, and listen to lectures, and hopefully you're motivated to pay attention, but you might not be, and maybe you'll read the book, but you might not, too. I mean, I deal with my students every day. I, you know, so in my classes, I'm constantly trying to get them to do something, hands-on things. Now my, my current bend is to try to get all my students, and I'm building this into my classes, uh, trying to get all my students to do good study skills. I'm making them point-bearing activities. So it's like this whole science of teaching and learning is great. So, okay, you know, I'll give you some points if you make flashcards, I can't force you to use them to study, mind you, but I'm going to give you points just for making them. I'm going to give you points for, for making practice exam questions. Can't, can't force you to use them, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you make them, and once you post them into a discussion board, all the rest of the students in the class, theirs are available to you too. And You can make a practice exam now with 200 questions that are probably going to be harder than the real exam. I mean, these are like good study skills, and yet college students just generally don't know how to study like effectively study, they they just know what's worked for them in the past, but they haven't actually gone out and said, "Can it be done better?" And, and I don't know, maybe that's just too threatening to uh you know my sense of competence. Like, well, no, I'm doing well in school. I know how to study. I'll just reread my notes over and over and over and over and over again. It's like, okay, well, that's a pretty crappy method right there. And you're probably not recognizing the importance of sleep. You know that I always, you know, you know, I screamed at you about making sure you're getting enough sleep. And anyone listening. Your brain wants nine hours of sleep. Do you schedule nine hours of time in your day to sleep? Because that's what your brain wants. And for all the students, who are like, but hold on, I have to study. You know what you're doing while you're dreaming? You should go look into the science, the, the, the research that's going on on dreams right now. Uh, you're learning. It's, it's memory facilitation. You continue learning while dreaming. That's what all our wonderful data is telling us right now. So study right before you go to bed and then sleep for nine hours, you will continue studying in your dreams, as seems to be what's happening by the, the data that's coming out of this, this literature, uh, and, and that'll make you even better the next day, as opposed to sleep-deprived, which uh, will make you largely, uh, quote-unquote, stupid. That's uh, I normally don't toss that word around, but that was a word that was used by one of the most important sleep researchers we've had uh, from up in Stanford, who said, yeah, sleep, depri- sleep deprivation makes you... In- Quote, stupid. You're acting like a stupid person now. So it, it's all no, these. I- no, experiences that we need to get. I'm sorry. I'm just, you can't stop me from talking.
0: No, but I was actually going to comment on that. You're right. Like when I have less hours of sleep and I remember this, I mean, I still kind of go through as a grad student, like when I would get the bare minimum of sleep just to be able to finish my assignments or like go to work, I would be doing the stupidest mistakes like yeah. the other day. And I can't, it's because, okay, so do not judge me. I had to do it. <laughs> For certain reasons, but I'll share with you after the episode. I'll eventually tell my listeners too. <laughs> which they probably know by this point, because this episode's probably gonna air like around October. Yeah, I have a I have a I have a timeline. Anyways, so during the summer I took three courses, five weeks for my grad program. Again. Good reason for that, I promise. I was still able to get a 4.0, which I don't even know how I did it. Awesome. I kind of came up with my method. It was really hard, though. My sister, who's in the back, can testify that I was making so many stupid mistakes, though, in the sense that... I remember I was at in my classroom at the school district I currently work at, and I was um, monitoring my students while they were sitting through their zoom lectures and I also brought my laptop to like you know be able to like monitor my students but also work on teaching curriculum that I had to get done for my supervisor and then I literally literally i'm not even kidding i left my charger at the school then that weekend because i had a final that monday online i had to go to walmart and buy a new charger when i swear i had put it in my backpack Yep. so i testify to the stupid i will tell you this though with working and just getting classes done it can be a little hard so i'm not gonna lie i get about seven hours of sleep but i do squeeze in a nap Every
1: afternoon. Hey, naps count. Naps count. You know, I, if, if, if you can pull seven and a half hours, that's that's workable. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't yell at people too much. About, well, okay, I take that back. I actually yell at my students quite a bit about this. Uh, nine hours is the dream. That That's what you should shoot for. I think seven and a half is very workable. Once you get down to six, okay, now you're actually putting yourself in a position where you're going to start seeing more failures than you really should. The the line that most and I'm not a sleep researcher, so uh, you know I'm not go go double check everything I say. Naturally, if you're skeptical, please go double check me. Uh, but five hours, that's kind of the line where people start using the phrase sleep deprivation. And if you're regularly getting five hours or less per night, and I was in grad school, I know what grad school's like. I know how shockingly. Big the reading assignments every week were, that, that you're staring at it going, I can't, I can't, I can't. I I, I drank more caffeinated drinks in grad school than I, I have probably for the remaining other years of my entire life. Uh, I remember all that very, very well. And uh, but yeah, everything that you want, all the successes that you're shooting for, every single one of them are going to get more challenging to meet if you're not, Getting sleep, right. the, because I, I can say it in a real crude way. You know, the a sleep de- a sleep deprived person, your odds go up of you know poor health, poor cognitive functioning. Uh, you get uglier, by the way. Uh, there's also there's research that will tell you that you are significantly less attractive when you're sleep deprived than when you're sleep indulged. So that means your social life isn't going to be as as good here, right? So, all right, what, you know, obese, sick, ugly, accident prone, what, stupid. What what about that list do you like? And ultimately, uh, you got to start scheduling sleep. You no, gotta yeah. start thinking of it like an assignment in a class. I even tell my, I make this an assignment in an intro psych class when I'm talking about sleep. It's like this, this is your homework. Sleep, sleep nine hours every night for the next yeah. seven days, and see how you feel at the end of that, uh, and then you'll see the difference.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, and I agree with you, and that's why I'm just a huge advocate. Also, like you, actually, I can't even say an advocate of sleep. I would just want to say time management. You know what I'm right. saying? Right. Thanks. Because yeah, if
1: you can, it, you, can you get what you need to get done in the daylight hours and still get your, you know, seven and a half to nine hours of sleep? Uh, and and, and I, I told you I have the, the tendency to be lazy. And so I've made sleep a priority in my life. And that means, though, I have to be much more disciplined. And I tell you, success in, professionally for me has hinged on habits and the discipline to maintain these habits. Now, I already told you, my background's in motivation. You know, I'm, I was I collected goals in graduate school. That was all my research on what's your goal, how important is this goal to you, what do you do to maintain it, and then what are your behavior sets? And I looked for the correlations, the relationships between what you say are your important goals and what you actually do in your life. And the relationships here were just almost painfully weak. Uh, especially with academic goals, uh, everybody, everyone, I mean, they're all college students that I was collecting data from, but they, they basically all said, my goal is to do well in school. And then I asked them, okay, why well, are you doing this, 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 this? And they're like, yeah, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not studying for this much. I, it's like, okay, well, you're not really doing the behaviors. Motivation is great. Motivation is super important. Setting a goal is super important. But if you don't set a, be- a system of behaviors, a set of, a set of habits, it it's all just kind of smoke in the wind here. You, you really need to set up those habits. And at first, they're challenging. They're hard to get in place because it's like starting a new workout regimen, right? It's like, okay, you know, do 10 pushups, go. It's like, well, hold on, I haven't done pushups. In front, I don't want to. And it's hard to keep doing that day after day after day. But this is where the discipline goes is going to come in and this is that all that you know resilience i I often talk about persistence and resilience um, as things that are going to promote success and and it has to do with getting these behaviors these habits in place it's creating structure in your life now that means you need to schedule time to do because you have you have multiple goals right yes you have your academic goals yes you have your professional goals but you also have social goals too right and so okay we need to structure our lives to where as many of these goals can be attended to and optimally with the same behaviors you know people often have religious goals and they go really really well with social goals because this religious event is often a social event as well so i can hit one event you know one time window and i can take care of two goals right there maybe even three if you want to put like an affect goal like i i want to feel good so okay i'm i'm Getting closer to my religious experience, I'm around other people that I like, and I'm feeling good. So I'm hitting three potential motivational areas with one thing. Now, if you could thoughtfully start creating that, you know, okay, the easiest thing I could tell a student, I, I, am I right to think that a lot of your listeners are students? You, I think you said a lot of them were, yeah. The best thing I could tell a student here is, you know, study together. Now, I know in, in Zoom University, that's that's not easy. But you can create an account on Zoom too, and anybody can go out and say, "Hey, join my meeting and have a meeting of two or three people uh, that are just classmates." And while part of your time might be just, "Hey, did you see that cool thing on TikTok?" Uh, sure, but as long as you maintain a certain degree of discipline, and you can say, "Okay, hey, let's let's quiz each other now," or you know, "Let's let's talk about this article." These articles are supposed to read, and you know, and. You, you do what you need to do. You know, you get a little pot of three people, you know, and you have three articles to read. Well, okay, we could each read one article and then let's get together and, and we talk. And so we can, you know, hey, I was a grad student too. I don't know what we do. And we can share and we can learn together, but also we can have the social connection. And so we're hitting two goals right there that are important with the same event. And if you're really mindful about that, uh, you could really start creating environments that promote your, your thriving
0: No, yeah, definitely. And oh my gosh, I feel like we can naturally just keep talking forever. But unfortunately, I have to start putting this episode to an end. But before I do, I will say your method in the sense that like, you could still like zoom with your classmates study and you know, you read one article, I read the other. That's kind of how I made it through the summer. Um, It works. And if you think about it, this podcast episodes kind of the same, like I'm getting like my side hustle right now done while still like, you know, getting my social meets met with like, we're catching up mentor. right now.
1: Yeah. This is great yeah, for me. Pretty I'm much. With one of my favorite former students and now no, one of my friends.
0: No, of course. And before I go, do you want to leave our listeners with any last piece of advice? Do you want them to be able to contact you in any way? What are you willing to share?
1: Well, I don't really have a web presence. I, I'm not, I don't do that kind of thing. I don't, so, I mean, if you can contact me at my email address, which is, you know, on the IVC homepage, uh, certainly go search for me, Michael Cassens at, at Irvine Valley College. If And I'm, I'm going to do my best to respond to you as best I can. I don't have a, a webpage or anything like that, if that's what you mean. Do
0: you have a uh, LinkedIn?
1: Okay, I do have a LinkedIn, but now then ask me how often I'm actually looking at it. I mean, I, I have the job, so I, I don't really a whole lot there. So oh,
0: yeah. I. You're,
1: you're exposing my lack of network. But when you're a tenured faculty member, I don't really need to do those things anymore.
0: That is very true. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mike. And I really appreciate it. And mi gente, I'll see you next week with another solo episode. Bye, everyone.